Hi, welcome to Talking Usework. My name is Rui Branco and together with Anita Silva, we bring you a podcast where we interview usework experts and practitioners that have a say when it comes to innovation in usework, either because they are using creative methods to empower young people, researching on use trends or responsible for use policies at international level. Like a shot of inspiration, all of our guests have a unique point of view about how can use workers shake up, upgrade and innovate on their daily work. Hello everyone. We hope that you are having a lot of fun preparing for the end of the year celebrations, whatever it is that you choose to celebrate. This episode was recorded with Virgilio Varela. He's a Portuguese youth worker and trainer and consultant who uses dragon dreaming. And it was really inspiring to hear his journey from being a musician to becoming a youth worker, working in some uh, really challenging neighborhoods around Lisbon many years ago. And the story takes him actually to encounter Dragon Dreaming. So then he explains us how Dragon Dreaming helped him transform his own dreams and plans into reality. And from there, we just went on, on what is it? What is Dragon Dreaming and how can it help youth workers and young people, especially those that are learning how to pursue their dreams, how to make their projects come true. And for youth workers who want really to give agency to these young people and to co-create shared dreams with communities and transform them into sustainable projects. So this was a wonderful conversation to finish a wonderful year. We want to thank you for being part of that year with us. And we wish you an amazing 2020 with a lot of dreams coming true. Let's talk youth work, guys. Hello, everyone. Hi, Virgilio. Hello, Anita. Welcome to Talking Youth Work. Thank you for taking our invitation. You're welcome. And we are here with Rui as well. Hi, Rui. Hi. So this time we are all talking from Portugal, but uh, each one in their own houses. So we are doing this via Skype. We hope the connection holds. And we invited Virgilio um, for his experience working with young people and his expertise in something very interesting called Dragon Dreaming. Virgilio, I would like to start with asking, uh, how did you end up working with young people? How did that happen to you? Wow, yeah, that's a long story. <laughs> um, but I think the beginning was I I had a, a band, uh, right. and my band, which was a musical band, so we were quite popular, and we had a a hit song, mm. especially with the um, um, African community living in in Lisbon, mm-hmm. and then uh, one guy that was a president of a local NGO had mm-hmm. uh, a very difficult task to get young people to to study uh, and then uh, in that specific slum let's call it a slum yeah they had high rates of of truancies at school and most of young people did not want to go to school so he had an idea he said well 
they they like your music. So I would like to invite you to become the maths teacher for this project. And his idea was to invite uh, some of the teachers from the school to come and teach inside the slum. Right. So in that way, uh, young people would not fail. Uh, and the local community would put some pressure in terms of reminding them they have to go back to, to school because school was inside the slum. Mm -hmm. So that was the, the, the beginning of my work with young people, uh, kind of more officially. Wow, uh, that's really interesting. So, that's a really inspiring beginning. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because my first, my first day... Uh, Actually, no one wanted to teach math. That was one of the things. Uh, <laughs> no one ever does. The teacher from the school did not like the idea at all because she didn't like the students in school. So she would never go to the slum where they live to, to teach. So they, they, were, they had this problem. So I decided to go. And on the first day, uh, I had, I think there were about 20, 22 youngsters. They, they didn't. They, they, they were a little bit younger than I was. Uh, I think the difference was about four years. So okay. we were not that far. And then uh, the first day they were already doing, you know, what they normally do is shouting and screaming. And I was about to start the lesson. And they were all speaking Cape Verdean Creole and, you know, just saying whatever they do. But they did not know that I knew uh, Cape Verdean Creole. So, so and you could understand I, everything they said. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I started in Portuguese because that was the plan, but then they ignore me completely and then they're doing whatever they're doing. So I said, well, uh, let's switch to Creole then. And they stopped. <laughs> and then I did, you know, the whole lesson in Cape Verdean Creole. So the next day I had um, about 35 people wow. in the classroom, uh, not only the students, but their parents because the lessons in maths were going to be given in Creole. So that was my beginning. <laughs> wow. And that says a lot about inclusion, right? When we give that extra step of reaching out to where people are actually, how, how, how much of an impact that has, right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. And again, not judging, you know, because mm -hmm. the first thing you would do as you get into the classroom would be, you know, stop everything, discipline, shouting, and I was just there, just, I, at first I didn't know what to do. So it was that, it wasn't that wise, you know, I was just <laughs> frozen. And then I began to see something emerging within that silence of my own silence. Mm -hmm. And then that, that was the end because I heard Creole in the environment and I said, well, let's, let's start with that. So that was, yeah. That, that was the common ground. Yeah. Wow, that's really inspiring. And maybe they they saw that you get them, because uh, yeah, sometimes the the issue is oh this person here they don't understand us they they don't get uh, they don't get our problems or our uh, view of the world and that way you maybe they felt accepted in a way. Yeah, yeah, I think th that's another thing you know um, because of the music they knew me. And um, so that, that was one common ground. But the other thing is, like you said, it's um, speaking a common language in terms of attitude and, and um, engagement and uh, respecting what they're doing and how they were doing it. You know, th this was the beginning of 
young people selling drugs in communities. You know, this was kind of the beginning of uh, them having opportunity to buy things that they would never buy. So on that first day, I had one kid interrupting the classroom with the shoe of uh, Nike shoes, you know, the latest one. Mm. And they all, you know, stopped everything they were doing just to look at the shoes. So I could see that there were a lot of things that could, you know, be a problem for me and, and for any teacher. But I just accepted as it was, you know, I didn't judge them. And the, the following day, they did not do the same thing. But I think sometimes they are testing you and uh, just to see where you are and how do you react to things. Yeah, yeah. Actually, what is your previous training? Are you a musician? Are you a youth worker? Or what, what is your previous training? <laughs> a math teacher. <laughs> a math teacher? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, um, <laughs> well, initially, I, my degree is in languages, so mm -hmm. Portuguese and English, literature. And then I study education in London for four years, I think. And the reason I went to London was basically because I wanted to um, work in education, but without becoming a teacher. Right. And the options in Portugal were, you know, either you become a teacher or a social worker or um, a social cultural animator or whatever they call it in Portugal. Yeah, yeah. And none of them was what I wanted to do. I wanted to design educational programs right. and bring innovation and creativity into them. So I went to London for that. Okay, and I know you worked then in London as well. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That, that was another interesting thing because the, um, when when I went to London, uh, I went with my partner at the time and, um, you know, we didn't know where things were. So I applied for a job that was actually not in London. <laughs> <laughs> you found out when you arrived. Yeah. So it was really interesting because then when we arrived at the airport, I realized how far the place was. And I realized that I had to leave, probably take the bus at three in the morning to get to the place. <laughs> that was not good news. And the interesting thing was the whole city, all the young people in that city were gothic, you know, wow. uh, in terms of style and music and so on. So it, it was nothing to do with my previous experience in terms of music or youth work or whatever. Uh, so that was like shocking just to start on that food. But I learned a lot. I did not get the job at the time because I was late for the interview. <laughs> because you didn't catch the bus. Wonder why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, then I applied for another job that was really interesting was the beginning of the youth parliament in England. Wow. And my role was to set up the youth parliament in Hackney. And Hackney is um, a borough that normally people associate with high levels of crime, um, a lot of diversity, especially people from Jamaican background, Somali, and so on. So I had to apply for that job. And it was really interesting because I didn't know anything about uh, the concept of youth parliament, but I thought it was like, you know, fascinating to give young people power to make decisions on politics and, and things like that. Applied for that job, I went through a process that was the first time ever to go to such a process. The first thing happened was I was in a room with 15 youngsters and they all had questions for me. And when I finished that, um, it was about an hour. 
And then when I finished that process, I went to another room where all the directors from the council mm -hmm. were sitting there asking questions. So I thought that was the end of the process. And they said, no, you need to come back in the afternoon. And then when I was back in the afternoon, I was in um, a fishbowl. It's a, it's a setup where you are, you are in circles. So there's a, an internal circle and an external circle. So mm -hmm. all the best candidates for that role were in the, in the, in the middle of the fishbowl. We were five. And okay. there were questions about uh, local politics and politics affecting young people in London. I did not know anything about that. I was just, you know, I just arrived from Portugal. I had no idea what was going on. So all my answers to the questions, it, it was kind of a, a debate between the five of us. And um, young people and the school uh, and the directors were all watching the process and evaluating so I was answering the questions that I I thought it was uh, making sense to me, but not necessarily what was going on. And and then when I left, I said, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> and then I had a phone call and they called me and I got the job. So that was a, a really big surprise for me. Wow. And I think maybe one of the reasons was uh, you know, I was just being honest in my opinion. And maybe that resonated with some of the young people that were there. Yeah, because this is authenticity is very important, right? Um, yeah. it, it shows in the two experiences that that you just described, that you reach yeah. out to other people when you are able to connect at their level. So th this shows the power of it. Yeah, absolutely. And not playing a part that sometimes when we go to apply to some things or you're the teacher, so you have to behave like the teacher mm -hmm. or you have to know all about uh, politics of this and that. And sometimes... It's easy to fall on the trap to be someone, something, or someone that you're not. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and society reinforces that, and your education reinforces that, and your family does that too. You know, it's true. So normally, people will ask you, you know, what what kind of job you do, and they are expecting some of the you know existing boxes like lawyer, doctor, or whatever. So, uh, in my case, you know, I'm. I don't know. And I have many <laughs> jobs. I do many things. And, and, and that's why sometimes people ask me, what's your background? You know, like kind of, what the hell? <laughs> human. <laughs> yeah, maybe human background. But again, you know, um, falling for those boxes, for those roles, it's a trap because I think humans have such a wide ability and creativity that you can actually do whatever you want, you know, instead of just fitting the box. It's true. It's true. But yeah, but it's going for the can boxes. Be an, oh, sorry, Anita. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was uh, the other day. My my youngest daughter, she had to write in some schoolwork. Uh, what What's the job of your father? And uh, she she started asking. Oh, you do this and you do this and you do this. And I say yes. So what should I write? What write whatever you want? And she started writing a lot of things, and. For her, it's normal, and for other kids, the the parents only have one thing, and it's diversity, like we were talking about. That is important. Sometimes people are going only to be a lawyer, but there are humans that are going to be a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, and I think we all have to start accepting that more and more because that's the reality of of our professional lives nowadays. Yeah. Um. Having said that about diversity, I'm going to ask you, what's your box? <laughs> so how did you end up in Dragon Dreaming? I'm going to that box. Oh. Um, <laughs> okay. 
what led you to that box? So what led you to that? Maybe it's not a box. Maybe it's a whole field of possibilities. But it's a door. How did you, it's a door. How did you get there? Um, it's interesting because when I was in London, I had, I had the opportunity to to learn so many different methods and tools. I had a really um, access to a lot of information and and. I was questioning when I decided to return to Portugal whether I would be accepted or not uh, because I had so much information and this could be a problem. So um, I was attending um, a training course called Oasis Game. It's a method to invite a whole community to dream and to make that dream come true in two days. Right. And it was uh, developed in Brazil and I was attending this training course. It was fantastic. Eight days, you are immersed in the community. And then uh, in between that course, I was doing a leadership course. Um, and then during the leadership course, I was having a conversation with my colleague about this training I was attending. And then when I finished explaining, um, she said, well, that sounds pretty much like dragon dreaming. And I said, whoa, what's dragon dreaming? And then she briefly explained it to me, a method that involves collaboration, sustainability, win-win, uh, and inspiring people to follow their dreams, to make them come true, a process that is really clear, step-by-step, step, a meta system. And I was like, wow, what is this? So I started to investigate about dragon dreaming, and then I did my first training course in Portugal. Uh, there was a German lady that came. I don't know how she ended up coming to Portugal, but she came just for a few days and I attended the course. And then when I did the course, it was two and a half days introductory course. I realized that I could immediately apply it. So I, I applied. I was working for a big trust foundation in Portugal. And I said, well, I'm going to test it. And I tried it in the community with a group of stakeholders and it was an instant you know success impact people wanted to know more we designed new things like new programs they were really innovative and involving the whole community children and so on and people started to ask me for more information and i said well i only you know i only do this and this is the introductory course so i started to investigate how can i learn more and I realized that John Croft, um, an Australian um, anthropologist who developed together with a, uh, a group of people in the Gaia Foundation in Australia, they developed this method and he was coming to Germany, uh, to the Black Forest. So I decided to go to that training, but it was really expensive. And one of the process inside Dragon Dreaming helps you to fundraise um, a lot of money for your dream project. And it's, a, it's done in a way that it's win-win for whoever gives you the money and for you. So I decided to test that. And I just tried it and people gave me money. And I went to this training course and I did the advanced course. And then I became a trainer. I did the train the trainers in, in Germany. And then when I returned to Portugal, I, I started to facilitate. And I think one of my first uh, workshops was... In, in yeah in Lisbon the second workshop was in Lisbon and Anita was attending that one exactly and I, I and I know I had so much information to give 
and so very little time that I had to go through my notes all the time and say, well, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to talk about this and let's do this. And I was in that mode all the time because my head was buzzing with information. So that's that was, that was the beginning of my relationship with Dragon Dreaming. The other thing is that the method is resonates with a lot of things that I already did in the past, like different mm -hmm. methods that I already knew. And it kind of organized everything in one place with a logical sequence okay. and principles. And I was like, you know, I was really inspired by that. Well, it's really interesting that you started not only learning about it, but immediately implementing it. So it seems that something that is not that hard to start using on, on, on a project or on something even personal. Not it at is, all. Okay. Hmm. I mean, you can actually use Dragon Dreaming to organize your room. <laughs> <laughs> you can organize a trip to another country. You can organize your life, you know, like who you want to become in 2020. Or you can yeah, apply it to your dream project or to design a startup, for example, you know. Or, or for an NGO, for example. Or for an NGO. And I think especially with young people, uh, and I see the level of, of awareness about climate change and the environmental issues is raising with young people. And having a method that helps you really, you know, put your dream and the change that you want to see happening and having a step-by-step -step method that helps you go through it in a win-win way, in a way that everybody wins in the team, but not only the team, but the community, it's amazing. And I've been trying to, 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 to share it more with young people. I've done it in schools um, and, and projects where people are trying to find alternative ways to educate their children. And it's really, really useful for that. Okay. I, I know this is probably a difficult task. You were saying that in this workshop that I was attending, you were buzzing it with information, trying to fit everything in two days. And it was really hard. And I'm going to ask you even the hardest thing, because I think everybody out there listening is now wondering, what's the method? <laughs> how does it work? <laughs> how can you briefly kind of give us an overview of, of how does it work or what is it? what does it entail at least? Okay, so um, first, I think it's interesting to, to dismissify the name, Dragon Dreaming. And Dragon, it's, it's a, a symbol for our fears, the things that we are afraid of. Okay. And Dreaming, it's basically our dreams, our vision for the future. Mm -hmm. And the way it manifests is through creating projects. So creating a project, in creating a project, you navigate between fears and your dreams. So... There are many definitions for Dragon Dreaming, like a project design method, a collaborative sustainable process for designing uh, amazing projects. And I like sometimes to use the very simple definition that is love in action. Okay. And the reason love is there is because a lot of it, it's about human being and emotions. And how can you bring humanness into designing a project? And I see it a lot happening in the world, like people do projects, but they end up not wanting to be together again because it was so much painful and so on. So with Dragon Dreaming, it's a very simple process. It's a step-by-step -step process that has four stages, dream, plan, do, and celebrate. And within those four stages, you have um, 12 steps, three steps in each of these stages. And mm -hmm. by going through that process, 
by starting with your dream and then moving into the planning to structure your dream and then going into implementation and really do it and then celebrate that process is really a magical process to make projects sustainable and collaborative. And the aim of the, the method is really to bring collaboration at all stages. So when you dream, you're not dreaming alone. You're dreaming together with a dream team. When you plan, you plan together. Everybody is engaged in the planning process. And when you execute, you execute together. And the celebration is, I think it's something that is very magical in Trident Dreaming. You celebrate together. The celebration is appreciation for all the contribution for each member of the team, but also seeing people getting outside of the comfort zone, even though failing, but appreciating the effort of doing so. And I see it a lot in projects that people are not seeing as if, they are doing something, but nobody is noticing. And the celebration in Dragon Dreaming is really, you know, noticing people, appreciating, seeing people in their best potential. So Dragon Dreaming is, is this, is this method that is integrating different things like Aboriginal culture, experience, um, deep ecology, um, the, you know, the, the knowledge of us being connected with nature, uh, integrates nonviolent communication, how we communicate in projects, how we overcome conflicts, and this vision of win-win-win, that it's got to be winning for the individuals, for the communities, and for the planet. Wow. Okay, it sounds very powerful. And you mentioned the Aboriginal culture. How is it linked with the Aboriginal culture? Well, um, it, it started in Western Australia, in Perth, where the Gaia Foundation is based. And it started by investigating how Aboriginal people create projects, how they do it. And they found out that first, when they created projects, it was a lot of fun. People were having fun. And by researching about it, they found out that there was no word for work in the Aboriginal language that they work with. And the closest word uh, to work was play. Wow. So every time they design a project, it's a game. And this shifts your perspective in the way you look at doing things. Because if I invite you to come and do some work with me, it's one kind of energy. If I invite you to come and play with me, it's another level of energy. Absolutely. So the playfulness is embedded from the uh, Aboriginal people into the method. And then there are many practices that were inspired by the Aboriginal people. For example, pinakari. Pinakari is a word for deep listening in the Aboriginal people from Mardu, um, uh, the, the Mardu people. And deep listening, it's basically connecting to yourself, bringing presence, focusing on your breathing, and, and making a short pause. It's less than one minute. And in that pause, you connect to yourself, you connect to your, your, your deepest truth, and then you speak from that energy. So it's really useful when things are foggy or you are in a conflict, conflictuous situation in the project, just making that pause for less than one minute will connect you to yourself, to the earth, and to the people around you. So when you speak coming from a process of, of Pinakari, you speak from the heart. 
So by practicing that in projects, we, we, we can see how much it changes the energy of the project and the relationships. And that is coming from the Aboriginal people, from Mardu people. And and I can really avail for that. I remember in the in the workshop I did with you um, back in the days. I remember that pinakari is something that stayed with me because um, I'm a bit hyperactive, and so for me to stay quiet and silent and in a in a meditation like uh, state is really hard and it's boring and I don't like it. But <laughs> but I remember very clearly that you know in the middle of a discussion with twenty people in the room or something. And when, when things we, you know, when, like you said, like when a conversation starts to get um, foggy and, and everybody's talking at the same time or people are not really listening or there's kind of a, um, a stronger debate of opinions, we would do a pinakari. And when we would start back, it was like it was a different group. Yeah. And I remember that so clearly. It is like we restarted, like reset everything. And suddenly there was a different group of people in the room. And that stayed with me until today. And it's it taught me a lot. I don't use dragon dreaming that much in my practice. I think I should, by the way, but I still <laughs> didn't manage to. But it teaches me a lot about the importance of kind of, um, of this wisdom that, that groups can find their own peace and work from there, like you said, work from the heart. And that is possible to make that shift in the group uh, in less than a minute. And I think uh, Dragon Dreaming has a lot of these um, methods that are deeply rooted on uh, ancient wisdom. And yeah. that that is very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because John Croft and Vivian Elanta, um his partner at the time, um, they they kind of did a lot of training courses. You know, they they had the opportunity to 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 know um, different methods from all over the world. And what they try to do is synthesize and integrate all of those learnings in one method. So mm -hmm. it's it's I, I normally call it a, a, a meta system because it's a system of systems aligned with the same principles and the kind of the same intention. You know. Yes, yes. And it makes sense. Knowing the method, it makes sense the way you describe it, because it does integrate a lot of project management tools, yeah. um, the project cycle, as we know it, the more traditional one. But it has so many different twists to it that it makes it efficient in other ways that people generally don't look for. Uh, yeah. I, I, I wanted to go back a little bit to the four stages, uh, to the first one, to dreaming, mm -hmm. uh, because... You see all over the the internet and people talk about it, follow your dreams and follow your dreams. But one thing that I'm sensing right now is people are somehow disconnected and you ask them, what's your dream? They don't even know it. Mm -hmm. So how do you uh, begin to uh, awake people's, it's strange, to wake them up to dream? <laughs> Interesting. Thank you for that question. I think there's, there's two things I must say in terms of the process. Um, usually you don't start with dream. You start from the energy of celebration. So, and the celebration is the celebration of your last project, the learnings that came from the last project that you did. By celebrating that project, by looking at all the learnings that came from that project, then you have the energy and the wisdom to think about what new thing can emerge from this learning. So that's, that's one 
one stimulus for the dreaming to start dreaming. The other thing is within the dreaming stage, the first stage is awareness. And these are awareness at different levels. Awareness of myself in terms of my strengths and weaknesses. You know, what can I do to change the world? But awareness of a need of something that needs to be changed or a problem that exists. So by creating awareness on the problem or the need and awareness about my abilities, then when I dream, I dream from an informed place, an informed place that is something that is inside of me that uh, awakens my purpose and that is needed in the world. And it's so grounded. It's because grounded. Because you're connected, yeah. Exactly. So when you go into a process called the dream circle, that is one of the most amazing processes in dragon dreaming, you go from a connected and informed place. So when you dream in a dream team, imagine five people dreaming together, the same stimulus of project, but dreaming together around that stimulus. There's an energy shift there's an energy shift because each of them are going to put one thing that is magical for them to be in that project and magical for them to see the change happening. It's a really magical process. And um, so dreaming, it's awakened dreaming, but it's also connected with your dreams in the sense that a lot of the needs and a lot of the the things that you don't know about yourself, they emerge during dream state. So there are signals that come from the dream state that tells you, oh, this is alive in you and you must follow this bliss, you know, like Joseph Campbell said. It's like a hero's journey, you know. You hear the call and the call comes through the need and the dream. It keeps calling you. And once you start that journey, then you follow that, that hero's journey or the community journey or the earring journey and so on. And I think it's very interesting here because this really connects to a topic that is very hot around Europe and around youth work, which is youth participation. And there's a lot of things written out there about, you know, how to increase participation of young people in communities, in projects, in, in organizations. But I think that a lot of these um, advisors fail in the practice because then you really need to do it with an attitude uh, which is very specific, you know, to actually believe that young people can do, uh, I don't know, international projects or run an NGO, to actually believe in their capacities is something that is not easy for adults sometimes because we are, you know, in our own frames of uh, thinking that we know better, we've learned how, they don't know. And with Dragon Dreaming, it's really an invitation for this collaborative, horizontal, um, supportive uh, collaboration and, and, and participation of all. I think that is so inspiring and powerful. Yeah, I want, absolutely. I, I wanted to ask you, how can a youth worker learn more about Dragon Dreaming? Where can they find information or a training or, or something like that? Okay, there are many places. You know, Dragon Dreaming, it's kind of now spread out in different continents. So there's, uh, recently, John Croft has been in, in China, Russia, and Africa, I have been to Africa a few times, taking the method. There's an international website at the moment that is being updated. It's a dragondreaming.org. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and then each country they kind of have their their local networks for example there's a local network in france and they have their own website okay. so rêve du dragon something mm -hmm. like that and then um for example spain have their own network and then you, you look for dragon dreaming in spain and then brazil has their own network you know dragon dreaming dots Brazil, something like that. So as soon as you go on the websites and uh, just Google um, mm. Dragon Dreaming, you will find many, many places where you can get more information. But uh, dragondreaming.org has been kind of the central um, place for all the different trainers. So you can see a list of um, trainers from different countries. You can find me there as well. Uh, in Portugal, I have been quite active, but I also been traveling a lot to Brazil, Africa. I was recently in Cape Verde for the first time, and again, it's really beautiful because I, I was uh, I was envisioning in January, I was dreaming in January to go to Cape Verde, and oh, it, it wow. just happened this month. You know? oh, so wow. <laughs> it's really to believe in the power of dreams. Um, and did you I, celebrate? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I'm into sushi at the moment, so it was <laughs> just going to sushi. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I would love to keep learning and talking more about how the method works. We won't have the time, unfortunately, um, but we invite everybody to check out the, on the websites. There's a lot of information nowadays in the Internet about the method as well. Um, uh, with a few partners, we also released um, a publication uh, a while ago, where we mentioned it at least, so there's you can find resources on the on the internet about it. And as a tradition in our podcast, we always have a question that the previous um, guest leaves for the next guest without knowing that it would be you. So we have a question for you. I think I believe Rui has it, and we I, actually I think it's very nice because it's very connected to our conversation. Rui, do you wanna do you wanna spell it out? Yes. So the, the question that our latest guest left was, how can we align our own personal passions and values with the passion and values of the organizations we are part of? Mm. Very good question. I was recently doing um, a work in a big company, and that was the, 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 um, the job. Um, they were designing a new vision for the organization and they wanted the whole team to follow that vision. And uh, what I did was starting with individuals. So uh, I was asking them what is their personal personal values and their personal vision for themselves. Uh, and, and this was a surprising question for most of them because they have never asked themselves that question. So I would start with you, you know, just spend some time to see what makes you alive? What's your ikigai? And what's what's your vision? And what are the values for what you do? But starting just for yourself and then noticing how your actions are aligned with those values and vision. And then moving into an organization, how can I communicate by acting by, by you know, whatever ways, this value and, and, and vision that I have for myself? Because uh, the difficulty sometimes is that we jump straight into the vision of the organization and we try to fit in in our lives. And um, I think it's really interesting to start with yourself. Um, what is your vision and your values? And by doing this exercise, 
maybe you will find out that the organization that you are in is not aligned with yourself and to with what you want to do. And maybe it's time to change. But starting with yourself, I, I would say it's the best way. Very interesting. Very good. Yes. Yes. And, and I, I, I have to agree with you that um, not enough, we don't dedicate enough time to think and reassess our values, our vision for ourselves, where we are in our own process, in our lives. And, and sometimes we are in an organization and we didn't even realize that we changed that yeah. our vision of ourselves changed and maybe we were aligned before we're not anymore. So I, I think that's a, a very interesting um, point of view. And I would like to ask you now to leave a question to our next guest about innovation, youth work, you know, these themes. Wow. <laughs> um, I would go with something. What, what is the, what is the single action that you can do yourself to have the biggest impact in the world okay okay what's the single action that him or her can do to have the biggest impact in the world yeah that's a powerful one <laughs> yeah well thank you so much guys it was really nice to have this conversation um i'm, I'm sure that it's going to inspire a lot of people and and it's going to uh, create a lot of curiosity around dragon dreaming and I'm really happy for that because it's a methodology that I believe uh, a lot in as well. Thank you Virgilio for sharing your wisdom with us. You're welcome. <laughs> and and I, I wanted to say I forgot to mention hmm. there's a lot of information on my website as well about dragon dreaming. I sometimes do uh, short videos like uh, um, one minute, two minute videos about different oh, processes of Dragon Dreaming so people can access that information in virgiliovarela.com. Fantastic. We so, will add so, all the resources. Yeah, in, that's um, what I was going to, to say. Mm -hmm. And to ask also Virgilio all the links that he, he wants to point people to, we can put it on the post. Yeah, okay. Fantastic. Well, have a nice weekend. We're taping this on the weekend. Have a nice weekend, guys. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is produced by Tim Maes with the support of UMAC, University of Applied Sciences.